Tell me more, a deep dive on all the random ideas, concepts, people, places, and things that cross our minds. We are prepared to do all the digging for you on the internet and beyond and present like old school research project style. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Julie. And we will be your fact finders for each episode. So get ready. We're going deep. Like page 12 of the Google search deep. Welcome to Tell Me More. I'm Julie and I'm here as always with Chelsea. And today we have a very special guest with us, our friend Heather. Say hello, Heather. Hi. (laughs) Heather's here for no reason other than we just miss each other and want to hang out. So Heather knows what we're talking about, but Chelsea does not. So Chelsea. Yes. We are talking about something that came up for me when I was researching a book slash show combo that we're going to cover on our other The Basic Moms media podcast called But the Book Was Better. Okay, well, I can't possibly remember because you've listed like 12 book show combinations that you guys plan to do. So narrow it down. Well, okay. So this is a book that I know you read because you tried to get me to read it for like three years straight. Okay. And you're the only one I give book recommendations to in our group. I wish that you had given me this recommendation because I love the book. Yes. So in preparation for this, I told Heather to read it and she said, can I read it in one weekend? And I said, I read it in 24 hours. It's good. Yeah, it was great. So when I read it, I knew Julie was reading it because of her other podcast. And I looked up that it will be a movie. <laughs> no, it's going to be a show. It's a 12 part show. Okay, this will probably give it away, Chelsea. The lead character is going to be played by Riley Kehoe, who is Elvis Presley's granddaughter. Is it Daisy Jones and the Six? It is. Yeah. But we're not actually like, talking about the book. What we're going to talk about is the inspiration for the book. And we're going to do a little bit of like a comparison of some of like the characters from the book to the real life inspiration. So do you guys know the backstory of the inspiration for the book? Yes, I definitely picked up on it, probably because it's a rock band in the late 70s and Mm -hmm. every word they use to describe Daisy is also a word used to describe Stevie Nicks yeah yeah I also my parents listened to a lot of and still listen to a lot of like 70s rock so like same thing when I listened to the book I didn't read the physical book um and like the audio version and same thing I was like this is they're totally talking about like Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks okay so question real quick just because I'm curious this is off track but um how did you like listening to it because I wondered listening to it versus reading the physical book I remember I mean it was a while ago when I listened to it I remember thinking I wish I was reading the physical book because going initially going back and like when they're introducing all the characters it was really hard to keep track of the band members from what is it billy is that the guy's name billy like his band it was hard to keep track of the guys initially because there was like five of them or something like that so i remember thinking like oh this would be so much easier six six six. oh yeah the easy joes are the six that makes sense (laughs) Like, I remember, like, being like, okay, what was that guy's deal? Like, but then, like, you know, as it went on, I I had them figure it out. But it was, I did like the narration, which I think when it comes to audiobooks, sometimes the narrators can really kill a book. And I did like the narrator for Daisy Jones. Was it one person that did all the voices? I don't think so. I think it was a few people. Okay. That's you know, sometimes they'll have like one, uh, like a woman do like the women and men's voices. And I it's hate weird. that. Yeah. It was not that. I believe it was like, it was at least a man and a woman. 
I just want to say right now, this is actually going to be a two-part episode because we have a lot to talk about here. So Chelsea, you told me to read Daisy Jones and the Six like years ago. It took me like two to three years to actually pick it up and read it. But like I said, once I did, I finished it in 24 hours. And I do remember at the time of you recommending it, you telling me off the bat, like, you know, it's based on Fleetwood Mac. But after I read it, I was like, well, okay. Like I see the relationship between Billy and Daisy being similar to the relationship between like Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac. But like, I kind of knew a good amount about them. And I knew that it wasn't like their exact story, if that makes sense. Like just a couple of differences right off the bat would be that in Daisy Jones and the Six, Daisy Jones joins the band, band, but it was already Billy's band. Whereas with Stevie and Lindsay, they were together in a band and then they joined Fleetwood Mac together and they were actually in a relationship. Whereas in Daisy Jones and the Six, Billy and Daisy aren't actually in a relationship. He's married to someone else. So what it's more based on is like the chemistry between them and what it could be like for a couple to have to like perform together all the time when there is this like tension and chemistry between them. So like I said, I knew that this was going to be made into a series. So every now and then I Google it just to see like where they're at, right? So like IMDb gives a date of 2022 for coming out, but there's no like month listed yet. So I was recently Googling yet again (laughs) to try to find out when the dang show is coming out. And this time I came across an article that was written by Taylor Jenkins Reid, who is the author of the book. And you might recognize her name because she's also the author of, oh, what is it? I thought I had it written down. Addresses of Evelyn Hugo. Yes. Miles is Rising. She's kind of cute, but those are like her most popular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I found a post she did on Reese Witherspoon's like book club blog called Hello Sunshine. And she explains better like, that it's not really they're not meant to be Stevie and Lindsay but they're meant to sort of like give off that vibe that chemistry so I'm gonna read to you guys a little bit from her blog post it says in the summer of 1997 I was 13 years old and highly addicted to channel surfing between MTV and VH1 now pause right there I was also 13 in the summer of 1997. So that means you guys would have been 12, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for me, it would have been my summer between seventh and eighth grade. So between sixth and seventh for you guys. Yeah. Just to picture where we're all at. I was mostly looking for No Doubt and Third Eye Blind videos, even perhaps Jamiroquai sliding across the walls. <laughs> What I was not looking for was an old band I'd never heard of performing a two-hour-long live concert, preempting my Puff Daddy videos. But nevertheless, Fleetwood Mac was always playing on repeat on both channels that summer, singing their greatest hits in a reunion show called The Dance. They were inescapable. I don't remember the first time I actually paid attention to the screen. Maybe I resigned myself to watching snippets of it, flipping back and forth between channels. What I do know is that at some point during that heavy rotation cycle in which the dance dominated music television, I glanced up at the screen while Stevie Nicks was singing Landslide. The lighting was dim. She was in a gauzy black dress. Her hair was big and blonde. She shared the stage only with Lindsay Buckingham, who was just off the side accompanying her. She sang with such fragility, and yet she seemed so confident and strong. And as she did, she kept looking back at Lindsay, her expression warm and intimate, but cryptic. Who were these people? As the song was coming to an end, Stevie and Lindsay moved closer to one another, smiling tenderly, maybe even a little bit wistfully. Lindsay stopped strumming for a moment, and Stevie let it fly as he watched from the sideline. And for one split second, truly a slice of a moment, 
Lindsay put his fist under his chin and looked at Stevie as if she was a miracle. And I thought, oh, they're in love with each other. So that moment in Landslide is what Taylor Jenkins Reid kept coming back to as she began writing Daisy Jones and the Six. She says she wanted to write a story about, and this is another quote from her, how the lines between real life and performance can get blurred about how singing about old wounds might keep them fresh. It's going to come up a little later in our discussion about what's performance versus what's real. To that point, remember how everyone was speculating that like Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper were like together yeah. when they sang Shallow at whatever award ceremony. Yes, so like, we just, argued about this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like they're definitely together. Like look at them together. So I guess that- like, No, they're like, good actors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that like, but I think the- like that what's required to sing right and to put yourself out there is like different than just acting though I don't know I think it's right. like a different type of performance than well acting. so just for some context in 1997 when the dance was on tv mm-hmm. they had known each other at that point for 31 years oh, so wow. there's a lot of history there whereas Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga are both professional actors and probably knew each other for like a handful of years yeah so I remember that summer because that's when I learned about Fleetwood Mac too because my friend's older sister got super into them what is it that song tell me lies yes or or little lies or something no it's tell me lies yeah yeah I could show you a performance we did to that when I was five years old. <laughs> Maybe send that and we'll post it <laughs> on Instagram the day this comes out. I, that was actually the next thing I was going to ask because you guys know that in 1997, I did not have cable. So this was not my summer experience. But so you actually remember watching it, Heather? No, I just remember my friend's sister being obsessed and that okay. being the reason why. I also did not have cable. You did not have cable. (laughs) I had cable. um, But I think, I don't remember, like I remember hearing about the dance, like that performance, but I couldn't tell you if I ever watched it. But my mom was just like really into music. So when we were younger, like we were always listening to like the big, like she was in like in high school in the 70s. So it was like all her like high school music, you know, that she would, it's like us basically playing DMX right now. Like that's like how it was for my mom with all the bands she listened to. So we always- I'm not playing DMX right now. <laughs> that's what I would be playing either. I mean, I don't know. Like we have different hits right now. Yes, our ideas of throwback 90s tunes are very different. <laughs> actually 2000s, I think, but whatever. Um, so yes, I was very familiar with Fleetwood Mac in the 90s. So I had a friend in high school who had almost this exact experience too, that Heather, you said your friend's sister did, and that obviously Taylor Jenkins Reid had. And even up until like the end of senior year of high school, when I was still like acquainted with this friend, she talked about Fleetwood Mac constantly, the relationship between Stevie and Lindsay. So like, I think this was like a really formative moment for a lot of women our age. What we're going to do right now is something we've never done before on our show, Chelsea. We're going to pause the recording and we're all going to watch the video together. If you're listening, I'm also going to have the link from the dance in the show notes. So hit pause and go watch it. So we know what we're all talking about here. Wait, Julie, have you seen it though already? Uh, Yeah, I watched it. Okay. Have you? No. Okay, so we all just watched the performance that the author of Daisy Jones and the Six was referencing in her article. And so what are our impressions? Well, I got chills. And I think it's because now I get the song. Like I've heard it a million times. But now I understand it more. If we're comparing the book and the, the band. And I tried to look it up while it was going like while it was playing is that what 
you would compare to Honeycomb, right? Is that what it was? In the, yeah, in the that's what that Billy's song that he wrote. Mm. Yeah. Well, so this song was actually written by Stevie and it was written for the first album. We're going to get into some major history in a minute, but this song was actually written for the first album that they recorded with Fleetwood Mac. So it was before rumors when they were like in the process of breaking up, but they did kind of have like an on again, off again relationship. And the song is very clearly about whether or not she wants to break up with Lindsay and like move on without him. Mm -hmm. Also fun fact, she sings, I'm getting older too. She wrote it when she was about 24. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just meant that whole scene where they're on the stage together. Oh yeah. Looking at each other, realizing, you know, the things they're realizing. Yeah. So Uh, that's the scene, right? Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. I was thinking that my mom had Stevie Nicks hair in the 90s. Wow, my mom's hair is like just like that in 1997. Her idol. Lindsay, I keep wanting to call him a different Lindsay. Not a good one. Um, (laughs) Lindsay Buckingham, is that his name? Yes. Okay. He was kind of like a hottie, right? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I think he's so hot. So if I did the math right, he's about 48 in this. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was, when we were watching it, I looked up how old she was. Cause I was like, how old is Stevie Nicks now? Like I couldn't even figure it out. She's 74 guys. Isn't yeah. And she was 49 in that video. Yeah. So I was doing the math in my head too. And I was like, huh. Okay. And um, yeah, that's like, he's a good looking guy. Yeah. So by the end of this episode or maybe part two, you're going to hate him. Okay. <laughs> he's still hot. <laughs> And I'm really kind of, I'm going to have to listen to Landslide again now because I haven't heard it in a long time. And I was so busy looking at their ages and like how hot he was that I didn't <laughs> listen to like the words and what the meaning behind it was. Oops. Heather, I noticed you make a very uh, specific face when he did do the hand thing, the, the hand on the chin. Well, because you just talked about it. Yeah. And then I saw it. So I was like, oh, there it is. But then also like, oh, I get, yeah. Yeah. So just a little more context here. So Lindsay Buckingham actually has his first child in 1998. So his girlfriend slash soon-to-be wife was probably pregnant with his child when they were doing this. So a lot of my thought process is like, I would hate to be in a relationship with either one of them and watching that. Well, yes. And I was thinking when we were watching that, I wonder what the status of their relationship was in that moment. Like, were they like, did they hate each other? And they just had to do that performance because they had to, and they had to have that look, you know, between them or what? Well, they hate each other now, right? Yes. And we're going to get to that. I feel like then they were okay. I don't know. During this specific filming and tour, they were on a like on again, but I mean, it's a love hate relationship. Like it's like, we're together. We hate each other. We're together. We hate each other. We're going to play in a band together. We hate each other. (laughs) It's very, um, back and forth. Yes. It's very tumultuous. (laughs) All right. So what we're going to be talking about in this episode, we're going to get some Fleetwood Mac history because a lot of people only know the band as it starts with Stevie and Lindsay, but they were actually around for almost 10 years before Steve, like about seven years before they ever even joined the band, had 10 albums and some like major hits before they ever even joined the band. We're going to learn about their cursed guitarists just because that's fun. We're going to talk about Stevie and Lindsay and their background and how they ended up in the band. And that is about where we're going to stop for episode one of this two-parter. Okay, so let's start with some Fleetwood Mac history. 
So Fleetwood Mac was formed in 1967 in London, England. It was originally a blues band and it did well as a blues band in the UK. They had a steady rhythm section made up of Mick Fleetwood, the Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac, and John McVie on bass. And he was the Mac of Fleetwood Mac. They're the only two that have always been in the band. It's like their band. And John McVie was on bass. They had trouble keeping a guitarist. And we're going to get to that because it's kind of funny, sad, funny. So Mick moved to London to live with his sister and pursue music at the age of 15. He like dropped out of high school and his parents were like, yeah, go live with your sister. (laughs) Shortly after he moved to London, he met Jenny Boyd. Do you guys have any idea who that is? No. 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 What if I said Patty Boyd? No. Still now. Okay. <laughs> Patty Boyd is Jenny Boyd's older sister. She's, they were both models. And Patty Boyd was George Harrison's wife, who I think you guys probably do know the story. She's the one that Eric Clapton stole from George Harrison. So there is like many songs written about Patty. It's like Layla. Layla, yeah. Wonderful Tonight, Something uh, in the Way, yeah, all yeah. Lady written of about Red. Patty Boyd. No, that's a completely different singer, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> so once he met Jenny Boyd, whose older sister was married to a Beatle, he kind of starts like operating in very important circles and he starts to meet a lot of different people. So after separately playing with multiple different bands in the UK, Mick and John f- form Fleetwood Mac. Kind of. Mick and Peter Green formed Fleetwood Mac and they basically like bribed John McVie to join by naming the band after him. <laughs> so he joined after they, they kind of like hounded him to join it. And they're like, look, we named it Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> um, it all worked out. He came on board. They played blues. They toured. They had some big hits in the UK, like this song called Albatross, which is a really cool song. Look it up on your own time. But it's a completely instrumental song that hit like the top of the charts in the UK, which I thought was random because at that time in like the late 60s, do songs even get played on the radio that have no lyrics? I feel like back then, probably. All right. <laughs> Maybe. All right, so let's talk about those guitarists. Some people say that there's a curse on Fleetwood Mac's lead guitarist. They've been through a lot of them. So their original guitarist and frontman, Peter Green, got hooked on LSD and left the band in 1970 after having a bad acid trip. Damn, okay. Their next guitarist... Jeremy Spencer, they were on tour in LA. He was rooming with Mick Fleetwood and he said, hey man, I'm going to go downstairs and get a magazine. This was 1971. He just never came back. So they went looking for him everywhere. They had the FBI out looking for him. Any guesses where they found him? (laughs) 7-Eleven. Heather, no guess? I don't want to guess. New Jersey. New Jersey. He joined a cult. The cult was called the Children of God. And basically nobody ever really heard of him again. So do you think that he went to go look for a magazine and got caught up in a cult or he was caught up in a cult and lied about going to get a magazine? I think that they were all very much on a lot of drugs specifically like acid LSD and so I read for this in preparation one of the books that I read was Mick Fleetwood's um memoir I read the one that he wrote in 1990 because he wrote another one in not 19 2014 and what I heard about that is that he kind of like sugar-coated some stories as he got like older So I read the one from 1990 and he said that they were playing in San Francisco the day before there had been like a terrible earthquake in LA and all along Jeremy Spencer was like, I don't want to go. I don't think we should go to LA. I've got a really bad feeling about it. 
So my suspicion is that he probably had already on a different tour made contact with people in the cult in LA and he was probably like torn between what he was going to do and that they were maybe expecting him to join when he came back to LA. Um, That's just my suspicion. I don't know. But you may have heard of this cult before, the Children of God, because it's actually the cult that the whole Phoenix family grew up in, you know, like River Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix, Hmm. all of them grew up in a cult. It's also the same cult that Rose McGowan grew up in. What? I had no idea. I don't know this. Why do you think that people just know this information? (laughs) Well, because I think that there was recently, well, first of all, true crime podcasts. (laughs) And I think there was a documentary about it semi-recently, no? I don't think this is common knowledge. I'm also pretty impressed that you read the Fleetwood Guys memoir in preparation for this. Oh my gosh, Chelsea. I read two books. I listened to an audiobook. I read multiple interviews in like Rolling Stone and Billboard. And I listened to three different podcasts do two-part episodes on Fleetwood Mac. Somebody told me that I didn't do enough research. This is going to be the best deep dive you've ever done because of that feedback, probably. (laughs) All right. So wait, did I say this yet? Today, the cult goes by the name The Family International. Okay, so the next guitarist was Danny Kerwin. In 1972, he got pissed off that someone was playing off-key. So he refused to go on stage and then heckled the band from the, like, soundboard area. And then they fired him. The final one that they lost was Bob Weston. He had an affair with Mick's wife, Jenny, in 1973, and they made him leave the band. Okay. Sounds like they're terrible at picking guitarists. Yeah, they're not great at it. Yeah, that's not really a curse. (laughs) That's just poor decision-making. Yeah. And Mick does take a lot of blame for the affair between his wife and the guitarist because he wasn't like, he just was not paying attention to her at all. I mean, not, not that that makes it okay, but he, he like, is very self-reflective of the fact that, like, he did not create a good situation for them. Does he talk about that in his memoir? Yes, he does. <laughs> okay. So in the midst of all of this, Christine Perfect, who is a keyboard player and singer-songwriter, and who at this point has married John McVie, joined the band in 1970 and this is kind of when their sound begins to change more towards like pop as opposed to blues hold on they have a female keyboardist oh yeah notice notice something interesting isn't there a female keyboardist in the book that's why i was saying it yeah yeah i feel like i read it Yeah, I mean, honestly, because it's been about six months since I read it, and Chelsea was telling me about it years before. Pre-pandemic. Yeah, for sure. The difference here, so John McVie, the bass player, and the keyboardist, Christine McVie, are married, whereas in Daisy Jones and the Six, you have Karen and Graham are dating, Mm -hmm. but they're not married, and they're dating secretly, right? Initially, right? Yeah, I don't think anyone ever found out they were dating, right? Wasn't that like a whole thing? Okay, so in 1973, after Bob Bob Weston left the band, they called their manager and they're like, hey, we need some time to get our act together before we proceed with our tour because we just lost our lead guitarist and lead singer. And the manager was very compassionate and said, absolutely not. The band took a break anyway and so the manager put together put together a band of imposters to tour as them that's bizarre so weird uh yeah so to get the imposters on board the manager told them that mick fleetwood and christine were going to join the tour in a couple of weeks which was not true at all they began like playing shows 
And people were like realizing it wasn't the band from like the album photos. And they were like getting like booed. And so eventually that band was like, uh, you lied to us, no. But then it turned into all this like litigation in the UK between Mick Fleetwood and McVie and Christine McVie trying to like get their name back. But while it was in litigation, they couldn't record or tour under that name in the UK. So they moved to LA. And that is what leads to Fleetwood Mac hanging around LA looking for a new guitarist in 1974. And who do they find? Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. Let's talk about Stevie's past. So you said they were looking for a guitarist, but were they also looking for Stevie or were they just a package deal and that's how it happened? They were a package deal and we will talk about that in one moment. Okay. (laughs) So Stevie Nicks was born on May 26, 1948 in Phoenix, Arizona. Her name is actually Stephanie, but as a child, she couldn't pronounce it. So Stevie stuck. Her grandfather, whose name is A.J. Nix, was a country singer. Like, I don't think he was famous, but I think he kind of like traveled around and played at bars. And he taught her how to like sing and play guitar and harmonize. Her family moved around a lot when she was little. She lived in places like Albuquerque, New Mexico, El Paso, Texas, Salt Lake City, Utah, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, California. She received her first guitar at the age of 16 and wrote her first song called I've Loved and I've Lost and I'm Sad But Not Blue. She attended Arcadia High School in Arcadia, California for freshman and sophomore year and then Menlo Atherton High School in Atherton, California for her junior and senior years. Lindsay Buckingham was born on October 3rd, 1949 in Palo Alto, California. He had two older brothers and grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area town of Atherton. He and his brothers were competitive swimmers and they attended Menlo Atherton High School. Fun fact, one of his brothers went on to win the silver medal in the Olympics for swimming. On a Wednesday night in 1966, (laughs) Stevie was 17 and Lindsay was 16. And they met at a Young Life youth group meeting. According to CEV, youth group was the only way to get out of the house on a school night. I feel that. (laughs) That is also why I went to youth group. (laughs) So she saw him playing guitar, sitting on the floor. He was singing the Mamas and the Papas California Dreaming. And she just walked up to him and started harmonizing with him. So that was in 1966. They went to the same high school. They knew some of the same people, I assume. But for the most part, they didn't like know each other, know each other. Then in 1968, Lindsay called up Stevie and asked her to join his band called Fritz. They quietly began dating because Fritz had a rule that nobody was allowed to touch Stevie. So in a lot of official stuff, it'll say that they didn't start dating until 1971. But based on like when they talk about their relationship and how long they were together before they joined Fleetwood Mac and that you can actually like do the math that they were, I mean, they were at least boning by like around 1960. (laughs) Whether or not they were in a formal exclusive relationship. Was that like the band is like, hey, don't hook up with each other kind of thing? Or what do you mean? Like- yeah, like they were smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Fleetwood Mac, which we'll see. And they thought, hey, we got a really good thing going here. Nobody mess with the singer chick because it'll make us break up. Yeah. <laughs> they were on to something. So the thing with Fritz was that they were a really good band, but they were kind of like an opening act band. So when bigger bands came into the San Francisco Bay Area, they were kind of like the local opener. But the other three members of the band, aside from Lindsay and Stevie, were happy to do that. They didn't want a record deal. They didn't want to move to LA, yada, yada, yada. So in 1972... Stevie and Lindsay relocated together to LA. 
And they got a record deal and they performed under the name Buckingham Knicks and they put out a record. This is where Lindsay really starts to be a big dick. Very hot, (laughs) but a big dick. Okay. So Stevie knew they needed money to live, obviously. So she was working like two to three jobs. She was like a cleaning lady, a waitress. How many jobs do you guys think Lindsay worked? Zero. Yeah, that's right. Lindsay stayed home, did hash with his friends, and played guitar and wrote songs. I guess it worked for them. Maybe it didn't because they constantly broke up and got back together. So it probably didn't. But I feel like most relationships have like a doer and a relaxer. I mean, at least mine does. Wait, question. So did Lindsay come from like a privileged background, would you say, compared to Stevie or? They were both definitely like upper middle class. Stevie's mom or dad was um, an executive for Greyhound, like the buses. Okay. Yeah. And they lived definitely comfortably upper middle class. And um, Lindsay's dad owned like a coffee factory. And they also were well to do like Lindsay and his brothers were on like the swim team at like the country club. So like they're not they're not like hurting. So yeah. like yeah. I was just thinking like was would that have been uncommon for him to like not work and to just like live off of yeah but I I get the vibe more that like he thought yeah like I shouldn't have to work I'm an artist but then I get the vibe that Stevie was kind of like a you Chelsea where like even if she had a million dollars she still needed to be busy like doing things I don't know what you're implying Julie well I just remember you used to work like three jobs when you absolutely did not have to yes I'm a busybody. That's yeah, I'm. yeah. So I think whether they could have lived without her working or not, I think even in one of, maybe I'm getting the impression because I think in one of the interviews that I read that she did, she said that she liked getting out of the house and like being around yeah. people and feeling like useful. And mm-hmm. she'd like come up with ideas and then like come home and get them out. But okay. like he needed to be completely like immersed in that lifestyle to write. Okay. 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 So they did put out one album and it didn't really do great. It was well received by fellow musicians, but it didn't get like a lot of radio play. The cover is pretty iconic though. If you've ever Googled like their names, you've probably seen, are you Googling it right now? (laughs) They're Googling it right now. So on the cover, Lindsay and Stevie are both topless and The story goes that Stevie did not want to be topless, but Lindsay called her a baby and pressured her to do it. And she was ashamed to show it to her parents. But later in an interview, she shrugged it off and said, it doesn't matter. No one saw it anyway. How old was she when they did it? So she would have been about 25, maybe. Hmm. Maybe younger, maybe a little younger, right? She was born in 48. So 68, she'd be 20. Yeah, maybe 24. She's beautiful, though. I would do an album cover topless when I was- I mean, it's tasteful. She's not, like, showing her boob. No, but I- Side boob. A little side boob. (laughs) I know, by today's standards, it's very mild. That's Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, so that brings us all up to date. Fleetwood Mac, we've got Stevie, we've got Lindsay, let's learn how they all meet. So back to Fleetwood Mac in 1974, they're in LA looking to add a guitarist to their lineup and to make a big comeback. So one day Mick is at the studio and he hears some tracks from Buckingham Knicks, the album they cut. One in particular called Frozen Love struck him and he said he'd like to meet the guitarist Just so happened Lindsay was in the studio that day. So they met. Feels kind of like fate, right? Like, what are the chances you hear someone and you're like, oh, you know what? Like, I'd like to meet that guy. And they're like, guess who's in the next room? (laughs) He's here. Yeah. So Mick offers him the job. Now, here's the only stand-up thing Lindsay Buckingham may have ever done in his entire life. (laughs) He says, 
I'll join, but I'm part of a package deal. If you want me, you have to take my girlfriend too. The band was a little unsure because they already had a female singer-songwriter in the group, but they decided to get together and see how it goes. So the five of them met up at a Mexican restaurant and they hit it off in a big way. Mick Fleetwood, John and Christine McVeigh, Lindsey Buckingham, and Stevie Nicks become the most recognizable and longest lasting version of Fleetwood Mac. So from 1974 to 1980, they record three hit records together and they basically toured nonstop for those six years. The first one that they put out together was called Fleetwood Mac. It was their 10th studio album and it was self-titled. Next, they put out Rumors, probably their most famous album. And then they put out Tusk, a double album. By the time they were recording Rumors, though, which was recorded in 1976, they were, you know, creating a lot of Rumors. John and Christine were getting a divorce and Christine was sleeping with the lighting tech. Stevie and Lindsay were in the midst of splitting up for the final time. Wait a minute. That is what Graham accused her of in the book. Right. Christine, but he accused Karen of sleeping with the lighting tech, didn't he? Yeah, that's a little nugget there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that you just read it freshly because I would have never remembered that having yeah, read it months ago. I didn't remember it either. And then Mick and Jenny, who had gotten divorced after she cheated, got remarried and were now divorcing for a second time. Oh, wow. They were also all heavily addicted to alcohol, coke, or both. I don't know why I'm laughing. That's not funny. <laughs> like, that's horrible. And the album was released in February of 1977, and they immediately went on to tour to promote it. So Rumors is considered like the best breakup album of all time. I think it's like the eighth best selling album in the world ever. Wow. And it's fifth best in the U.S. What was the status of Stevie and Lindsay at the time of Rumors? They were breaking up. They were breaking up. Okay. Yes. So apparently like they couldn't be in the same room. So she would like wait in a different studio and only come in to like record her parts. Very dramatic. But let me ask you guys a question. Can you name any songs from Rumors? Well, I was just looking that up. So I feel like now I have them all in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. What can you name, Heather? Go for it. Silver Springs. Oh. Totally reminded me of um regret me I feel like like it was like right so Heather what if I told you Silver Springs is not on rumors yeah I don't think I know (laughs) but that's a big story we're gonna talk about that in part two why it's not on and Rhiannon nope Rhiannon's on Fleetwood Mac yeah I don't think I know rumors I only know (laughs) no No, you do (laughs) right off the bat you definitely know dreams Oh, yeah, yeah, You know, go your own way. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the one I, Tell Me Lies or that one, yeah. No, Tell Me Lies is not until 87, that's oh, all. Oh, my goodness. I Tango don't... <laughs> in the Night or something, I don't know. Tango, yeah, Tango in the Night, I think, comes out in 87. Tell Me Lies is on that. And if you were to look up the music video for Tell Me Lies, you would look at it and Im- immediately go, oh, this is 80s. Okay. It looks like like the Take On Me video. Well, wait, so then what is on rumors? Okay, so dreams go your own way. Um, chain, chain, keep us together. I can't sing. Let's not do that again. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one that Bill Clinton used in his campaign, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Oh, okay. See, the so, thing uh, with Fleetwood Mac is you have three different singers. So there's songs you probably don't even realize are Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, I was just going to say, I didn't think, I wouldn't have guessed that was them. Never Going Back Again is on it, right? I don't think I... Old Dust Woman. The titles do not give away the song for me. Oh, no? Should they? Should they? Well, you know Dreams, right? 
How did, is that the one that like everyone's been remaking lately? Is that one? Oh, the music? Music. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. That is it. You did. <laughs> right? Yes, what? that is definitely it. <laughs> I like, oh, can't it. think of what the words are, but I have the tune in my head. All right. Well, all right. So these five, McFleetwood, John McVie, Christine McVie, Lindsay Buckingham, Stevie Nicks, they're all in different clumps, like in different iterations of the band that come after 1980. So they put out another album in 87 that they actually all come back for to record. In part two, we'll talk about what happens after they record the album. And then there's like different points where like Lindsay leaves and then like Stevie leaves and they just bring in like different people to fill the parts. Christine retires for like a good like 12 years or so. They all came back for Bill Clinton's campaign in 93, the dance in 97, and they came back and we'll talk about this for a very failed tour in 2018. But even at the same time, they were all doing solo albums. And it's like almost every one of their solo albums, they also all like perform on those too. So if you heard like Stevie Nicks's solo songs, like half of them might have like Christine or Mick or Lindsay on them. So it's like this really toxic sort of like codependent relationship forms between the five of them and this whole like toxic codependency actually dates back to before Stevie and Lindsay were even in the band remember how I said that Bob Weston cheated on or Jenny cheated on Mick with Bob Weston well they all lived in the same house in the English countryside in the late 60s and early 70s they had like this manor house and they just had like different wings of it. And the band lived there with their wives and their kids and their girlfriends and their roadies. They're like, I'll just live together. And then the trend of living together also doesn't like die off. There is like points during the band where they all live together with these five. There's points where the three guys live together and the girls live separately. It's just like, and that kind of happened in the book too. Yeah. Yeah. In, um, yeah, in Daisy Jones and the Six, they all live together in a house in mm-hmm. Laurel Canyon, right? Is yeah. that what they're supposed to be? Funny little story. I could not confirm, so we'll say allegedly, but I was also on Reddit for a little bit, obviously. <laughs> and one Reddit user claimed that in an interview, one time John and Lindsay said that they were the only two band members that had never hooked up with each other. What? Interesting. So make what you will of that comment. Drug okay. Drug and then I said that we'd get to this. <laughs> there was a pretty large altercation between the band in 1987. Mick Fleetwood tells the story in his memoir I literally just read this part today so it's all fresh in my mind but what happened was they made the tango album and the plan it was doing really well it had tell me lies on it which I think was a number one hit and it was sort of like their resurgence because Mick Fleetwood had like um at that point filed for bankruptcy like four times I think (laughs) so he was like yes a number one album let's tour and Lindsay's like I don't want to tour I want to work on my solo stuff so they go back and forth finally he agrees he'll tour for 10 weeks and then they're putting the tour together and he pulls out so they all get together for a band meeting at Christine McVie's house and they're trying they're basically like begging him to tour with them and Stevie says to him like you broke my heart and he starts screaming, like, get her away from me. I don't ever want to see this bad word for a woman ever again. And he, like, storms out and she chases him out. And they get into a physical altercation in the, I don't know, do houses have parking lots? What would, what would it be Driveway. called at a rich, rich person's house? Driveway. Driveway, yeah. I think they called it a courtyard in his memoir. Where Lindsay hits her. He has her bent over 
his car. He's about to hit her again. Some people pull him off of her. They're like screaming at each other. Long story short, he officially left the band the next day. Wow. Yeah. So what I thought was interesting about this, because it's all like coke-fueled violence. And in the autobiography or memoir, whatever you want to call it, Mick makes one little like line of a sentence where he's like, it wasn't the first time he hit her. So it made me think of like Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, how they're always like talking about like the you know they were like drunk and coked out all the time Mm -hmm. and not that that justifies anything but it really like this relationship between them and all of the coke that was involved all of the alcohol that was involved really kind of like made me think of all of those testimonies in that trial where like when everyone is whacked out of their mind like the crazy shit that can happen that's not yeah, good. It, it gets to that point because they don't have like the right mindset or like they can't even communicate properly because they're just like crazy yeah huh but yeah that doesn't excuse holy crap okay no, so did you read anything not. else that said like that they had like a physical like a yes physical well and I guess that's what's making me think because when all of them talk about it they almost like downplay the physical violence it's like yeah he hit her but we were all on drugs like not that that makes it okay but all of them across the board downplay it in this really strange way so we're just about to wrap up part one so they've taken breaks and they've gotten back together over and over again however these five they just all keep gravitating towards each other like magnets so in part two we're going to be talking about specific songs that they wrote about each other we're going to talk about people they've dated we're going to talk about whether or not we think they were still in love during the dance or if we think it was acting and we're going to talk about what went down in 2018 and where they stand today sound good yeah i'm on board all right we'll see you guys in two weeks with part two well that's it for this episode do you have something you want us to do a deep dive on send us an email with a topic to the basic moms media at gmail.com and be sure to come hang out with us on facebook and instagram at the.basic.moms if you want to dive deeper into any of the topics we present here on tell me more join our Facebook group, Mom Chat by The Basic Moms. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast and subscribe so you know when each episode is released.